This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to this week's Not and Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and joining me today are James and Natalie to go over an excellent away win at Brentford and we'll also touch on the victory at MK Dons as well. Also, we'll have Billy from the Besotted Brentford podcast to get his views on the match as well as the transfer sagas of James Tarkovsky and Alan Judge. So lots to get through on the podcast this week, but we'll start with Friday night's game. 3-1 win at Brentford, a ground a lot of people hadn't been to for a long time. I had a very good night at Brentford. The first half performance in particular, James... It's as good as we've played all season, if not for a long time. Yeah, no, we looked. I thought we looked really good first half. Um, you know, I still think there was a little bit missing from it. I wouldn't say it was perfect. I thought, um, you know, Andre Gray missed a couple of opportunities, uh, and you know, on another day he probably could have had three himself, and it could have been, it could have been even more at the break, couldn't it? Really. That was going to be my next point, Natalie. Three 0 at half time, and. Really, it wouldn't have flattered us if it had been five, six, seven. It was complete dominance from Burnley. Yeah, I think that's a very valid um, point. It, it was, it was. It, you almost felt a little bit disappointed to be going in with just three goals, especially given um, this league and how vital goal difference can be. I was, I was, you know, I was almost hoping for seven or eight. Uh, when it comes to the business end of the season, those that goal difference can often be uh, as good as a point. So, um, it, it sometimes it somehow felt like a, a wasted opportunity that first half that we only got three. Second half was obviously um, a bit different. James presumably Brentford got a rocket up them from their manager at half time, but a professional job from the Carrots in the way they caused the game out, even though there were a few hairy moments after Alan Judge got one back. Uh, I, I thought we sort of sat off them a little bit, didn't we? And, um, you know, it, it looked very much like we felt like we'd done enough and, um, you know, we could just sort of sit back for the second half and, and we knew there was no real danger. But it, it did start to look a little bit worrying after they got on back that, you know, maybe they could build some momentum and, and get back in the game. Um, because we we didn't really do much to change the way the second half had been going in terms of um, you know letting them put pressure on us. So it was a little bit concerning from that point of view. But you know clearly the job had been done first half. It's only Burnley can play like that for forty five minutes and still be hanging on for for periods in the second half. It was certainly some turnaround, but I think Burnley had effectively got the game sewn up. Um, Natalie, the quality of the three goals as well. Is, Three goals, probably as good as as anything you'll see all season. Which was your favourite? Oh, um, 
<laughs> that's really, really tough. Um, I'm going to say, our, to be honest, I don't think there's an awful lot between Arfield and um, Joey. I think Boyd's probably third favourite. So I think it's between Joey's and Arfield's. And I'm going to say Arfield's just because that came from open play. And obviously, you know, you've got defenders breathing down your neck, the ball's moving, and there's, it's, you know, there's, there's more technical um, ability needed to be able to put that in the back of the net. That's not to take away from how good Joey's was, but obviously there's it's a dead ball situation and he's had time to think about it and place it. So I think for, for that reason, Scott is just nips it for me. Three different scorers again, of course, is really sharing the goals out at the moment. And you you touched on Gray not being at his best, James, but the fact that Barton scored 2-2, two two, George Boyd has scored 2-2 two two now, it's a real sign that other players are starting to share that workload. Yeah, no, and obviously I think that's what you want to see, isn't it? Goals from from all of the side, but um, you know, it, it it's it's good to see that when Andre Gray's having one of those sort of days where it just seemed like he didn't have any shooting boots for him, that you know these other guys in the squad who can and can turn up and get enough goals for us to still look as comfortable as we did. What what do you think it was was wrong with Gray? It just didn't seem to be. It didn't quite happen for him. Do you think maybe the occasion going back to his old club had a bit of an impact on him? Maybe a little. You know, I think we saw it. We, we've seen it before, haven't we? That he snatched at chances a little bit. And there was one particular that stands out for me in the first half. And uh, the Sky team ended up saying, "Oh, it, it's been a pass to, to Scott Arfield," but you know he'd completely scuffed it, and and he was in a position where normally you'd think Andre Green are going to you know bag a goal, no problem. Um, and I don't know whether it is sometimes, you know, he wants it too much. Um, but I think it's happened, you know, maybe two or three times this season. And it, it looks a little frustrating for him, but, you know, it, it's never been something that's lasted and uh, he's always managed to get back on track. And it's certainly not a concern if we're going to have three goals by half-time from, from other players. Uh, Natalie, I read a comment online today or yesterday about Gray suggesting that he seems to be one of these strikers that you can tell if they're going to score quite early in a game they just look really sharp. He obviously wasn't at his game on Friday, but the Bristol City game recently, he was on fire from the first whistle. He just seems to to either be be on or, or not quite be there. That's quite a, a fair comment, actually. I think that's, that's quite a sensible analysis of, of where he is at his, in his career. Um for me, I think it's an experience thing. Um, we've seen it a couple of times this season, like you say, where sometimes you just know it's not falling for him, and you know he trips over his feet a little bit, and he, you know you just know he's not going to score no matter how how long the game goes on for. And we saw a little bit of this in Danny Ings when we had him at the club, um, and I think it's it's a a mental maturity that comes with the experience in the game. Both of them are very young strikers um, that have um, you know only just been discovered um, in that sense and I think sometimes it's, it's just down to knowing how to channel that enthusiasm and maybe just maybe the occasion of Friday did get to him going back to his old club but in other games maybe it's just that adrenaline and that desire to go out there and, and score he just needs to just channel that energy and rein it in a little bit and um, I think sometimes he just needs to channel that energy and focus more on on the opportunities and getting the goals just to go back to that first half performance, James, was was that justification for what we've been saying on the podcast week after week that there's more to come from this team if we really go after someone? Definitely. You know, I think there's been a few games now where we've shown that, you know, this team has another gear. And um, obviously we've not seen it yet for a full 90 minutes. And it's scary to think, 
you know, imagine if we did turn up for a full 90 minutes, the, the kind of scoreline we could put up. Um, you know, it, it's it's something that we, we I think we've crept up to our position currently. Is I think we're now top scorers in the league, aren't we? I know we're joint top scorers when before the game, and I can't really think of anyone else who could possibly have uh, kept us away from being taking sole ownership of that. And I think if you'd said at the beginning of the season, you know, this is the side that's going to score more goals than any others, you probably would have thought that wouldn't be the case. You know, it never really felt like it was the case previously under Dash. We'd never won by four goals until uh, December, and now we've won by four twice and five once. And you know, we could have won by six or seven if we'd kept our foot on the gas on Friday night. So, you know, we've now shown that we really are a dangerous side going forward, and that the beginning of the season was, you know, what not us playing to our full ability. Can you put your finger on what it is that, that's changed in the last couple of weeks, Natalie? Clearly there's a lot of confidence in the team at the moment, but is there any particular difference in our approach? Is it changes to, to personnel? Boyd came back in on Friday night. There were a lot of people unhappy with that, but it seems to justify his recall in place of Kylie for me. Do you know, I honestly don't know. Um, there's nothing obvious that you can pinpoint straight away and say, well, that's what we've been looking for. I say that of the obvious changes to the back four. We've talked about this on, on previous podcasts. We're all fans of, of this lineup at the back. Um, so I think that has made a difference. But, you know, midfield and the, the forwards, there's not been any particular um, massive change. There doesn't seem to be a shift in emphasis in any of the strategies that Dyke is adopting. So I honestly don't know. Um We've said all season that they've not been at the races. They've been winning games when they shouldn't have been winning them, um, not playing particularly very well. And we've been frustrated that we haven't seen the best of this side. Maybe it's as simple as that it's just clicked. Uh, I, I don't know, to be honest. I know that's that's not particularly a helpful answer, but I genuinely can't come up with anything that would explain why there's been such a turnaround. I wonder personally if, if Daesh even knows or if it's something that the players have just taken on themselves or maybe just a, a subconscious change. Sometimes teams just hit the straps and put together results and maybe it's just one of those. Um, we're going to be joined by Billy from Brentford Podcast Be Sausage shortly. Um, I suppose the, the big talking point from, from their point of view, James, is going to be the James Tarkovsky affair. Told their manager, Dean Smith, that he didn't want to be selected, effectively went on strike, we assume, because he wants to join Burnley, there was reports that we've bid twice. What's your take on, on the whole situation? Uh, well, I think it's one of those ones that you'd think is going to be quite straightforward, really, that you know the the player knows what he wants, um, and it's just a case of the two clubs deciding on, on the money. Um, you know, normally the things, things like this um, you know, situation play out that way. It's just a case of Burnley putting in the offer that, that Brentford are looking for. There was a few people on social media nightly suggesting that a, a player who acts in that way not the sort of player we want, but you can look at it a different way, I suppose, and, and say it shows how much he wants to play for Burnley. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think that's a really good good point. Again, I, I my gut instinct when I heard about it on Friday was um, really you know the same thing. Do we really want a player who wants to do that? The reality of the modern game is that players and agents control dealings now. We know this. They still control their own destiny. So for me, if he's as good a player as what Deitch believes in him and he wants him at the club, I would take the risk on the basis that the well, the arguments that people are putting forward are, oh, so, okay, we sign him and then 12 months down the line, 
uh, Premier League club shows interest and he goes on, on strike for us. If he gets his head turned after coming to us, he will go. So we may as well sign him anyway if we want him and get the reward and get the player out of him for a short time that he's with us. It's certainly one we want to keep an eye out on the next few days. As I mentioned, we've got Billy joining us now from Brentford Fanzine and Podcast Besotted to get his take on the situation. So Billy from Besotted is joining us now. We've just been talking about the Tarkovsky affair, Billy. I suppose from your point of view, that put a whole dampener on the game. Do you think it affected the the performance of your team? I think without a shadow of a doubt, Tarkovsky, as we call him. Um, Very good. He decided Very good. He was, yes, he was going to be offski. Um yeah, I think undoubtedly. I mean, I know the players tried to do the old we're professional. It didn't affect us at all. But um, just the way that they played, you know, I know we'd lost the previous couple of matches, but in particular against Borough, we were really good in the first half. They turned the crew in the, screw in the second half. But, you know, we're still, we're still out there. We thought we competed against them. Um, we played Warsaw the weekend before, and we played a sort of B-plus side, so we changed it up a bit. But, you know, Warsaw were brilliant, actually, to be honest. They played a great football. But we didn't show the sort of kind of sort of like limpness that we showed against Burnley. It was just pathetic. It was completely and utterly pathetic uh, in the first half in particular. And we were out for the count, you know, three goals, three very good goals that you scored. Fair play, tip your hat to you. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it affected them, no doubt. Um, you know, Tarki's he's one of the lads, undoubtedly. You know, he likes a, he likes a drink. He likes, you know, everyone likes a drink, but, you know, he likes to go out there and have a little bit of a laugh. You know, he's one of the, one of the lads, you know, can be probably led a little bit astray, but who can't be? Um, and, uh, you know, so he's obviously part of that kind of bonding thing with all the other players. And uh, I just think that, you know, maybe... It just, I don't know, just, just the heads, you know, it came very soon before the start, you know, before the start of the match as well. You know, if it happened a day before or two days before, then maybe they could get their heads around it. I think what a lot of the Brentford fans were saying, though, some of the Brentford fans were saying pretty much almost a year ago today, we had the scenario where on the Tuesday morning, the news was that Mark Warburton, it was broken in the press that Mark Warburton was going to leave. And it was just like, it was like a massive bomb had hit Griffin Park. But that evening, we were going to play Watford and we were gutted because we were saying, why did you break that news on the morning before you were going to play Watford? You knew that you're going to get, you know, the newspapers, the Times, you'd get a great reaction. You knew it will be all over the press. You know, you'd get a big spread on that. But what Warburton managed to do is that he actually kind of really got the players behind him. So when they came out against Watford, they were absolutely mm. brilliant that night. And uh, we should have beaten them. You know, they, they scored a last-minute goal. We had a man sent off, but we still competed. Andre scored, Greg Claude scored a brilliant goal that night. And it was a real vibe. And we thought that might happen today, but it was the exact opposite. It was a shame. The, the contrast between, obviously, how Tarkovsky's gone about it and, and Alan Judge was sharp, obviously, where... We're reported to be in for both players, but Judge played, he did his job, he scored a goal, he was probably your standout player. Yeah, if you've ever met Alan Judge, he's like he's just the nicest bloke, he's the funniest bloke, he's the happiest bloke, he's just the nicest bloke, he just I think he just wants to play football and he's just happy to be there. If you see there's a, a video which is probably on uh it's on our pre match I think it might be on the preview that we did for your uh, for, for for the game against Burnley and we've just got a, like a little clip um, of Alan Judge, I think I put it on there where he basically we just got him to say, "Yeah, Alan, you know, you scored the goal that just got Brentford promoted." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, we're going to the, you know, we're going to the championship." And he was just like absolutely delighted. We just caught him outside, outside the ground for the pub, and you sort of think, you know, I like, I like a bloke like this. He's all right, and I think that for him, you know, it's difficult for him because 
you know, he would have been offered a lot of money by you guys, no doubt. Um, Sheffield Wednesday, we were up, actually, we actually, we actually, after the game on Saturday, we left, we got, got home about 1.30 in the morning after still sort of like doubting our sorrows against you. And we got up at five in the morning. We went up to, uh, we went up to Hillsborough to come watch Sheffield Wednesday Leeds. We were doing some little bit of filming up there. And uh, it was interesting as well, talking to the Sheffield Wednesday fans because they were going, I mean, you guys, you're paying 30 grand a week to players. And obviously, <coughs> Alan Judge would have got probably a little bit of that. <coughs> Whether or not it's 30 or 25 or 20 or 50, even 15, that's more than we're going to ever pay him. So naturally, he's going to be thinking, this is like a, could potentially be a big move for me here. But... We put our foot down and said, "Look, you, just, you know, if you're going to go, we need to get the money that we've uh, put on your on your head." So, so you know, you can go with our good grace, but we've got to get our, our money. And that's something. And, and he's just turned around and said, "Okay, fair enough." And he carried on playing, you know, and that's professional. And that's what most footballers should and would do. Not everybody, but that's what they should do. But you know, unfortunately, you know, with Tarki, he's obviously been badly advised, and um, you know, yeah, he lives up north. And, Somebody, I heard a rumor going around that the way the reason why he did it because he was upset because the news had been leaked and all this kind of nonsense. So I was just sort of, thinking, what, you, what world do you live in, mate? You know, if something happens, it's going to get out there, and you just got, you know, you got to deal with it. But just finally, then, Billy, the the two players, I suppose Tarkovsky, your view will, will be that he's, his Brentford future is over now, and it's a case of just getting the best possible price. Is it? Do you think you'll be able to hold on to Alan Judge? Um, I, I'm I'm quietly confident that um, Judge will be a Brentford player at least at the end of the season. And I say that because um, just because I say that um, somebody's going to have to come up and pay what, six grand, six million, seven million, five million, whatever whatever money we price we put in him, somebody's going to have to pay that for Alan Judge in the January window. So they're going to really, really want him. Um, also, for Judge, he's going to have to play week in and week out because he's going to. He's going to Europe, the Euros in France in um, June. So he's going to want to play week in, week out. He knows he's going to get week in, week out with us. <coughs> he's also, <coughs> doesn't matter if we finish 6th or 10th or 12th, he's going to be one of the first names of the team sheet and he's going to be sort of one of our outstanding players. So for him, you know, maybe it's better for him to play for us week in, week out than to be in your side and be on the bench and come in every now and again or don't quite fit in with his sister and just trying to work out how to work him or go to Sheffield Wednesday where they've got another 45 players that they've bought and, you know, just they don't quite know what's going on. So I've got a feeling that he will stay. Interestingly, we did a poll, a quick snap, very, um, very, very unscientific poll, Twitter poll as we do, um, about Tarkovsky to say is he should never put on a shirt or whether or not he should actually play we play him to get our money's worth and uh, it wasn't the fact that 80% of the people said never play, put a Brentford shirt it was actually 20% of the people said well actually maybe we should play him because we need to get the value from him and also maybe if he says he's sorry then actually we should just kind of accept that and accept that he's a bit of an idiot and just kind of let him play so I thought that was quite interesting for Brentford fans um, the one thing you also do need to know is that with James Tarkowski he also does come with his lucky husky um, there's a game that we played two seasons ago up at Crewe and all of a sudden this husky dog ran on the pitch 
halfway, halfway through the match. And, oh, uh, my God. On, so, and it was on the TV and everything like that. So the old chant came to the terraces, James Tarkowski's Lucky Husky, James Tarkowski. So after that, so he's sort of played on the joke. So every time you talk to him about his Lucky Husky, he kind of mentions it as well. Even though uh, probably after his uh, dealings with Brentford now, he probably wants to leave his Lucky Husky back in London, wherever, wherever else he goes. Brilliant. Well, we'll certainly keep an eye out for James Tarkovsky's Husky then. Thanks a lot for joining us, Billy, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get your views on Tarkovsky and, Gra- and and Alan Judge if anything does happen on that front. Nice one, mate. So that was Billy from Bissosted. Interesting stuff on, on Alan Judge. James, what did you make of his performance? He scored a, a reasonable goal. Maybe he maybe should have saved it, but he, he did seem to be their standout player on the night. Yeah, you know, he's definitely the standout, I'd say, and... Um... But it's probably a hard game to judge someone on, isn't it? Really, when you judge, gone, judge, well done, lol. That was completely unintentional, actually. Damn, wish I'd been trying to get that in on purpose. Um, I think it was a difficult one, obviously, to to, to judge someone on um, when you're down three 0 at half time. I don't think it's necessarily the the game that you're really going to be putting yourself in the shot window. But he definitely did look better than the rest of the you know the team and. Um, you know, if it hadn't been for that goal, uh, they might not really look that dangerous at all with the second half. I mean, that sort of did. They, they had a lot of the possession, you know, and a lot of possession in that half prior to that. But I think that gave them a little bit um, of encouragement that, you know, maybe there was a chance to get back in the game. And after that, they looked even brighter. He did seem to, to have something a bit different to our wings, I felt. He looked quite direct. Maybe a mix between the sort of Kitely, Kitely's willingness to run at players with Arfield's willingness to shoot, maybe with a bit of Boyd's flamboyance, maybe a mix of all three. Um, Natalie, what, what did you make of his performance? Did anything particularly stand out for you? I mean, they're talking about £8 million for this player, so you'd expect him to be a very good player. I don't think they'll get that, but do you think he'd add something to Burnley? I was certainly impressed with him. Um, I really, you know, all the way through the. Obviously, we were keeping an eye on on him with, with the, the links to us um, that have been, you know, going around the whole transfer window. So maybe he stood out for me because I was deliberately looking for him as opposed to his own play. Um, but yeah, I, I was really impressed. And it was interesting to hear what um, what Billy said then before about how he's going to fit into our side and and the, the balance between him getting regular football in, in the Brentford side as opposed to. Um, you know, possibly in and out of our side. Where would you put him? Like, who would you drop? And, and you know, it would be quite difficult, really, I think. I'm not sure where we would play him if he was going to play every week. He, he has played in the middle, apparently, but I can't see him playing as part of the two. No. So you'd imagine he'd play on one of the wings, but... And that's... But then who, he's not going to drop either Arfield or Boyd. We know he's... You he's wouldn't think so, top, but... so. Um, He's not going to be in for a player who's going to cost millions of pounds if he's not going to play, I suppose. Sure. I, mean, I don't get it. Yeah, Boyd, Boyd came happens. back into the team. and James is particularly upset about that. Arfield pretty much starts when he's available, regardless of his form. So maybe there'd be some sort of rethink. But it, it is difficult to see how he fits in. But I suppose it's a, it's a good problem to have, having too many players, isn't it, James? We looked at look the, the squad a lot of last season and there was just nobody who could come in and change it and freshen it up. Apart from Ross Wallace, yeah, you know, it's a good series fit in. I mean, at the moment, obviously, I think George Boyd's an established favourite, and I think when Boyd is playing well, you know, he's probably one of the best, um, you know, attacking midfielders in the league. Um, but I still don't think we've really seen a lot of that this season. And um, you know, I think it's you know, it's good he's got his name on the score sheet. 
Uh, it was a great goal against Brentford, but I mean, you know, the MK Dons game off the team scored, aren't they? So I'm not sure how much weight you can give to scoring in that one. That nicely brings me on to, to the MK Dons game. 5-0 win for Burnley. Um, I, I suppose the opposition not up to much, Natalie, but to have that scoring touch and a lot of players getting on the score sheet, sharing out the goals, that must have given us the confidence to take into that first half at Brentford. Absolutely. Um, we know from from interviews that players have given and, and comments that they've made in the press that one of the things that they were felt that they were lacking this season was that killer edge, and they felt like they wanted to get. I think I'd, I'd heard Tom Heaton say to some to say to somebody that the one thing that they wanted to do was to give a side a really good hammering. They felt like they had it in them where they could put like five goals past a side, and that was the performance that they did it in. It was it was unbelievable. It's, it's been a while. It was a quite it was a strange week we came into this week with three away games in one week one incredibly difficult one away at Borough and two with no disrespect to those sides slightly easier away games but still you know three games on the road and given some of the performances have been a bit sketchy and we'd you know a bit down on some performances we were all expecting the worst and then obviously we, we won in the cup then went to Middlesbrough uh, Middlesbrough so I went to, to Dons and pulled this result out of nowhere and suddenly the entire landscape of this season just feels completely different. And it feels like we're now back to being genuine contenders to push for that second place, which I think two weeks ago we probably couldn't have said that. That was going to be my next question. Obviously, um, Middlesbrough and Derby both slipped up at the weekend with quite bad results, which although Hull, Hull put six past Charlton, I think, didn't they? So we're not actually any close to the top two, but it's it's tightened up a lot with Derby and Borough dropping points. But... The momentum is probably with us at the moment, and it's up to us to make sure that continues. Obviously, Derby at home next. We'll come on to that right at the end of the podcast, but it's another real opportunity for us to lay down a marker and show what we're all about. Um, James, three away wins in a week. I know we were quite positive on the podcast coming into this little run, but I don't think anybody expected us to go away and do that. No, you know, I think um, a lot of people have settled for. You know, not winning the the Borough game personally, I thought you know that might be a really tough one and might be a draw, and which would be obviously exactly what we didn't want, adding to some fixed congestion. But um, you know, the MK Dons game, we've seen that we could score four at home in December. Obviously, that first of the two four nil games, the first time we scored four um, under Dash to win like that, and uh, you know we've gone and bettered at MK Dons with uh, you know scoring five. So I thought. MK Dons, I mean, some of those goals, I'm not really sure what the defence is doing. I mean, Sam Volks, Sam Volks beats three men. I mean, I'm, you know, no disrespect to Sam, he's a great, great forward, but um, he's not one who's, you know, renowned for beating several men, is he? And, and the keeper, I'm, I'm not really sure what the thought process was to the keeper when you see Sam Volks is beating three men to then stay in his line um, and basically just offer his goal up to to the finish, which was just bizarre. But I think, you know, you'll, you'll take playing teams who defend that badly. Um, you know, five goals on the score sheet. I'd imagine it was quite a confident dressing room after that and, and that helps when you go then go and play another game on, on the road, knowing that you can uh, you can score freely away from home. The, the Volks goal was an odd one. I, I don't know if the, the keeper was just so 
boggling at Volk's B three players with a, a turn and a burst of speed that you didn't want to do, or if you thought Volk's was going to be much quicker and get there. But yeah, it's pretty poor goalkeeping and defending. But I don't think that should take anything away from what was still a very good goal. Um, and the the fact that we've we've really pushed on and, and carried on trying to score goals, I think is the key for me. If you look back to a game like Rotherham Nasley, which was a Friday night game in front of the Sky cameras again, we scored in that game and decided 1-0 was enough and needed to score again at the end. Whereas MK Donson Brentford, we made sure that the game's won. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was at the Rotherham game um, early on in the season and, and that is absolutely what happened. It was incredibly frustrating to watch because at the time that we scored the first goal at, at, uh, at Rotherham and, and you know while we were ahead, we were really dominant. and we, It was during that spell where we just didn't kill games off and you're always vulnerable to, to you know, to, to conceding. Um, I mean, I mean, look at look at um at the game um on friday night as an example even at three nil up they got one back and suddenly we're all starting to get a little bit twitchy so you know that's that was the that's what we were missing from games and it is good to see now that where this smell victory um that sounds terribly cliche but it's true when you know the, the they come out and, and attack teams from the beginning they don't stop until they've absolutely killed the game off and there's no way back for the other side next up then is Another game in front of the Sky cameras, but we're closing the weekend instead of opening it, a Monday night game, which gives the other teams at the top to, to get a little bit clearer of us. Um, but James, Derby come into the game on the back of a, a very poor 3-0 defeat at home to Birmingham. They'll be looking to respond from that, but Burnley must be absolutely flying after the, the results in the last week, and you'd surely be confident that we can go out and win again. Yeah, no, obviously it's close as well that the last couple of years we've, we've looked really good. You know, so going in, flying, uh, going to a ground where, you know, we've had quite a bit of success. Um, you know, I, I can't really think of a better situation to be in. And it is one of those ones as well where, you know, if there was, um, if you could pick a side to, to go into a game away from home against, you know, in this kind of form, you know, Derby Hill or Middlesbrough, the, the three you'd be picking, aren't they? So, I mean... You know, it's great to go in. They've just been beaten, you know, by a couple of goals by Birmingham. So it, it's a really good opportunity to sort of stick the knife in them and, and continue our good form and, and leapfrog them in the table. There's problems at Derby as well with um, Paul Clement was critical of his players that cancelled a, a planned warm weather training camp. I don't know if that's that's called for a jolly and a piss up or what, but the decided to stay at home and train in the freezing cold January temperatures instead. And got, it sounds like classic Derby, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it always the, does. The meltdown yeah. is starting. Yeah, it's, I think a lot of Burnley fans expected Derby to fall away and bottle it at some point, but it seems to be happening earlier, earlier every season <laughs> at the moment. They're falling away already. A couple of ex-Burnley players in the Derby team to look out for, of course, Natalie, Jason Shackle and Lee Grant. I suppose it's not really a, a big surprise that they've started conceding a lot of goals when Lee Grant's their goalkeeper. It's been a while since you were able to get that in, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it, it, it is interesting, actually. And I was, it was one of the points I was going to make, that it does feel um, very early for a derby, for well, the obligatory derby meltdown, doesn't it? But... Um, 
you know, just because of what Shackle did, it's very nice. It's even nicer to see than it has been in previous years, to be honest. And Derby fans, are, they've got a real problem with us for some reason. Um, I get every time you mention Derby, I get so much abuse on Twitter from them. Absolutely trolled to death. So um, I'm looking forward to the game, and I think I, you would think that the game is, is ours um, certainly we should be favourites we're at home with the form side out the two of us they've got all sorts of problems but I'm I'm looking forward to it because I think this is going to be a real real test and it's potentially a season defining game I'm going to be that bold and say that I think that was a, a fair thing to say I think there were people suggesting that um, Brentford could turn out to be the equivalent of the, the Nottingham Forest game in the promotion season two years ago when we really showed our full potential there. But for me, Derby's got the potential to be the equivalent to the, the QPR game at home where we only won 2-0, but it was such a complete performance and we are in control of the game from the first whistle to the last. I think if we can go out and do that to a promotion rival, then we'll certainly be mentioned as as serious contenders and we're going to be up there in the shake-up. And I think in general it's just lovely to beat Derby because I think, you know, Brom has mentioned there about Derby's fans. I just don't know what it is about them, but I mean, I don't think there's any other team's fans in the in the Championship I'd take any notice of or even bother me in any way, shape or form. It's weird. Like, I can't but remember what sparked Derby. it. I can't remember what sparked it, but a couple of years ago, their fans were insistent that they were going to catch us, even yeah. though they were never anywhere near us. And if we if we win on Monday night, we will have caught them. So that will be and quite then, enjoyable. And then, when, and then when they didn't catch us, they they were obsessed with the points total we were going to get in the the Premier League, yeah. which is very bizarre. It's a bizarre thing to invite from a when you know, they've when got the record. Well, yeah, yeah. You're the fan of a team that managed to get eleven points in the Premier League season. I mean, you'd never bring up points totals, would you? Really, ever again? Because you, I'd you be just, embarrassed. You just handed someone a baseball bat to club yourself around the head with. Um, I wonder if it's a frustration point. I wonder if that's because they were they were supposed to go up the season we did, and I wonder whether it's just at the time we were perceived to be the unfashionable ones. Like we we shouldn't have been anywhere near promotion. We sort of stole their slot exactly, and and preordained. Yeah, it's kind of you like see, embarrassment. That's the thing. When, when they went to the, the playoff final against QPR, I was rooting for them, and they, you know, they, they would they should have done a job on QPR, shouldn't they? And they bottled it and. That they were the better side for ninety minutes, then conceded a late goal. So I mean, they've only got themselves to blame that you know they're where they are, and for some reason their fans like to to know, take out the, the pain of being a side that can't quite get over the line um, and see us and with less money, and we can. One thing so, I, I wanted to touch on, we'll come back to the spending actually, because that's my next point. But the fact that Paul Clement's been so publicly critical of his players, I think particularly after the draw against Reading rather than the Birmingham defeat. Aitor Rank has done it as well. Middlesbrough lost their first game in, I think they'd won five in a row and then they, they lost to Bristol City. Wade Elliott's Bristol City now of course. And Karanka was public, publicly critical of his players. He said he expected more of his key players. I remember a few weeks ago Natalie, we were talking about how Dash he never says what, what fans want him to say but He's refused to be critical of his players and they've responded to poor performances. Yeah, yeah you, absolutely. Um, and it just goes to show, really. I mean, I think you and I, like you say, had this conversation where we sometimes felt frustrated with the relentless positivity coming out and the management talk coming out of Deitch, where sometimes we wanted him just to come out and say, you know what, that was utter rubbish and we'll sort it out. Um 
yet we've now seen over the weekend that that strategy is probably not a good one. And there's there's obviously a very good reason why Deitch doesn't do that. The only time he's done it recently was after the, I think it was the first half against, I can't remember, oh, Middlesbrough away. And he came in the cup and he came, uh, you know, he came out at half time and said, yes, I had a few choice words and they weren't pleasant. And that's about as critical as he got. But it just goes to show that there is no... There's no blueprint in terms of management of how you get your best out of your size these divisions. We've seen managers doing things right, wrong, players doing things right and wrong. And it's just, just we've just got to trust Dyche to do what he does and know what he's doing, I guess. You say that, don't you? But I think there's, um, I think, you know, there's different types of players and different players like to be called out in different ways. You know, some like to take yeah. quietly aside and, and be told, you know, I don't, like, I don't like what you're doing. You need to improve and, and some, I think, need to shock, don't they, of it, it being yeah. and, and someone saying, you know, to the media, I'm not happy with the way he's playing, he needs to change his game. Mm. And um, it gets them fired up. Do you know what's quite interesting as well is that I think you can look at the the, the players from that, like you just point out there, Birdie. I mean, look at the... Look at our squad. Can you? There's there's players in there that you wouldn't dream of. Can you really imagine Deitch coming out and saying Joy Barton was horrendous or Dino was or you know what I mean? It's, it just seems it feels to be really disrespectful. You know, our squad aren't kids. Joey, they are. Joey Barton probably come himself when he put it on Twitter. Yeah, well, yeah. We have got we've got the kind of players in our squad at the moment who'd man up and say it themselves. I, I would like to be a fly on the wall of the a full and frank discussion about performance levels between Barton and Deitch. I could get. <laughs> Can you imagine? It'd be amazing. Let's try and see if we can get it. <laughs> Bug the dressing room. Well, hopefully, performance levels will be good enough to not have yeah, to have that conversation. Yeah, no, it is. I think. I think that's. What, I think Birdie's hitting the nail on the head there. I think. I think it's a player thing. Oh, coming back to the spending, then a point James just touched on. I think Middlesbrough fans are, are worse for this because of things Dash has said about their club, but. Derby have, have got a, a B in their bonnet about what we spent as well. So I just want to look through at some of the transfers they've had this season. They spent £5.5 on Bradley Johnson and £4 million on Jacob Bottlefield. That was on deadline day in August. They spent £9 million effectively on a whole new midfield. They spent £4.5 on Tommins. They spent £3 million on Jason Shackle. £2.5 on Andreas Wyman. £2.5 on Nick Blackman. And a £1 million on Abdul Kamara. So, for a club that hasn't really seen outgoings, whereas we've lost Trippier, Shackle and Danny Ings for probably combined, we're going to be looking at over £10 million by the time the Ings Tribunal is sorted, if it's ever sorted. Derby certainly in glass houses throwing stones if they start going on about our spending. It's, it seems to be an odd thing to pick us up on, James. Yeah, I mean, you know, unless what Dash made, uh, Joey Barton was the world's most expensive omelet, I don't think we've really you know, spent anything in comparison. <laughs> made, made from dodo <laughs> eggs. <laughs> Yeah. Birdie, that was a superb line. Well done. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I think, I mean, you look aside from Andre Gray, we, we've spent a million here, a million there, other than that, and that's the only really you know big splash we've had. Um, you know, obviously, I've got to take account. Obviously, Joey Barton would be probably you know up there with our top earners. But um, you know, it just from what Barton said publicly when he signed, you know, it's clear that our structures. You know, not like many other sides. He said, he, you know, he said he has to fit the structure and that the pay is what it is, and it's not the most he's ever going to have earned. But you know, he likes what he's he's getting in the dressing room there. Moving on to predictions, then I, I suppose we're all going to be supremely confident after the results of the last week. Burnley will be strong favourites, I would imagine, despite Derby still being a place above us in in the league. 
Um, but Natalie, surely this is a big opportunity for us to to really put ourselves out there as as big rivals for for Middlesbrough, really for for promotion. Yes, I think so. Um, I'm I'm kind of nervous about tonight's predictions because my reverse psychology is working <laughs> a treat. But the reverse every, psychology. Reverse oh psychology. And, hey, it's working. It is working. But I'm I'm really worried because. I feel really, really confident that we're going to beat Derby. I feel like it's going to be, I feel like it's going to be the QPR result, like you said earlier, from the promotion season last time. I feel like it's going to be the statement game where we just show the rest of the championship that no matter what's happened so far, we are serious and we are going for this and we're going to go and get that automatic spot. We're not settling for a playoff place. Um, and that makes that that confidence makes me really nervous so you, you're going to abandon the reverse psychology no 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 I can't I've got to do it I've got to do it I've got to stay with it I'm going to say we're going to lose 1-0 lose 1-0 excellent Jason Shackle goal no doubt yes um, yes definitely that's going to do it James surely a low scoring encounter this one since we've got to get past the excellent Lee Grant in the derby goal I know you're a big fan of uh, Lee's body of work. Um, <laughs> big fan of the way he palms shots straight out to opposition strikers on a regular basis. Yeah, no, I, I think um, obviously we, we've come in on the back of a few good scoring games. I don't think we keep him off the score sheet, but um, I'm, I'm going to go for for three one, which isn't quite dizzying heights of um, the couple of four nils we've had at the turf recently. But obviously, a little bit of a, a better opponent than Charlton. That is about it then for, for this week's podcast. I'm, I'm with um, James. I think this is going to be a good win, but I think we might just keep a clean sheet as well. So that is the Monday night game on Sky, which means our podcast will be out a little bit later than normal next week. Thanks to, to Billy from Besotted for joining us. If, if you're not aware of Besotted, they are very, very good if you're interested in a bit of background on Brentford and they've got loads of stuff about our game on Friday night as well. They do a podcast from the pub which is a, a brilliant idea. I think we need to, to adopt that here at Norn and have that could get very interesting. <laughs> so thanks to Billy for joining us, James and Natalie for coming on the podcast. If you've got any feedback about the podcast, please do get in touch. As ever, the email address is podcast at net, or you can tweet us at net, or get us on Facebook as well, which is facebook.com slash net. But that's it for this week, and we'll be back next week. Goodbye. Check out those my new caps. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.